Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio, powered by Postano. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. We're excited to be powered by Postano. Follow them online at postano.com or on Twitter at Postano. Plenty to cover in this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Alex Bell, the CEO of Signal360, they're really a cool technology that allows teams and brands to communicate by pinging consumers' mobile devices. It's called proximity marketing. Uh, We'll chat with Alex Bell about it. Interesting idea uh, for coming up with the company, too. So you'll enjoy that conversation. We'll step into the technology lab with Alex Bell on today's show. And then the deep dive conversation on the state of the NFL with Rand Gatlin, our friend who covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. You've probably seen Rand on Jim Rome and other programs. He's been joining me on Sports Business Radio for a long time. He also has a legal degree. So always like to uh, have these conversations with him because he understands the legal ramifications as well. But uh, lots going on in the NFL. I'm not sure they've ever had a 10-day to two-week period like the one they're in the middle of right now. So we'll do the deep dive on the NFL. You'll get some insight on today's show that you probably won't listen to anywhere else. I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing well. Um, you're right. This has been the week for the NFL. I tell you, it's just like every day you turn on the TV or the radio and you hear the next story that's breaking and. Yeah, it's quite a saga and uh, just uh, just crazy seeing what's going down. Well, we've heard for a long time about Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, who, by the way, makes $44 million a year, talk about protecting the shield and how it's a privilege to play in the NFL. And if you look at the actions of the last week, the shield is starting to you know get some tarnish on it. And the brand of the NFL, which has always been pretty Teflon, uh, for the first time, you look at it and you go, wow, uh, this isn't the league that I thought it was. And, you know, look, there's 1,796 players that play in the NFL. Not all of them are bad people. We're talking about four specifically this week. But um, these are major headline-making uh, news stories, and they're with high-profile players like Adrian Peterson and Ray Rice. So... Um, and then when you have video to add to the story, like in the Ray Rice story, and you've got graphic pictures of the abuse from uh, Adrian Peterson with his four-year-old son, the pictures and the videos bring it to life in a way that it didn't used to be 10, 15 years ago before social media and websites like TMZ.com, Griggs. 
Well, that's what I'm thinking, too. I'm, you know, 20 years ago, these stories would be big, but it, you wouldn't have all the evidence and the visuals and people going to social media to look at it and watch these videos. Now it's just like instantly out there. And the guys are, I mean, it's obvious they can't, they can't cover it up because they're, I mean, you see him punching the girl right there in the elevator. I mean, it's just like it's so in front of the people and the fans now, it's, uh, you can't cover it up. Well, and there's systematic failure by the NFL on numerous levels, whether it's their security team, whether it's their PR department, uh, whether it's the commissioner himself, where has he been when uh, the NBA was in crises with the Donald Sterling story? We saw Adam Silver having a press conference and talking to us, telling us what his league was doing. Roger Goodell has not done that. Where is Roger Goodell? I know there's lots of legal issues in play here, but it looks like you've got a league in chaos right now with the NFL. Let's get to some of the headlines, the latest headlines. Adrian Peterson has been placed on the NFL's exempt list and has been barred from the team after being reinstated this past Monday after he missed last Sunday's game versus the Patriots. Vikings team officials were pressured by their sponsor, Radisson, who suspended their sponsorship, and by the governor of Minnesota after reinstating Peterson this past Monday. Peterson is facing child abuse charges for beating his four-year-old son with a switch. Interestingly enough, Griggs, the Vikings made the announcement about Peterson being placed on the example list overnight when everyone was asleep, when media people were asleep. Uh, interesting PR strategy there. I will say this to all my PR friends out there, since I'm a longtime PR exec, you'd think it would go without saying, but Radisson was the sponsor on the banner that was utilized during the press conference on Monday. Brands do not want to be associated with controversy. When you're announcing bad news or you have controversy to discuss at a press conference, go logo list. You can have your team logo on there if you want, but don't put sponsor logos on there because they'll probably do what Radisson did and not want to be tied to you for very long. Griggs, the Adrian Peterson story, uh, you're talking about the guy who was MVP of the league a few years ago, maybe the best running back in the NFL. This isn't some third-string punter. This is really negative for the NFL. Yeah, it is, and um, and we've seen a couple with Anheuser-Busch putting the statement out and Radisson, and the sponsors are also, you know, there's so much money tied into the NFL and these players and uh, fantasy leagues and just so many things for one player that you see how it just trickles down to so many different avenues inside NFL. And like you're saying, where is uh, Goodell, you know? He needs to, uh, it is, it's like chaos right now. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what are the rules. What do you get punished for this? What do you do for this? And it's, uh, it's just kind of a, a whirlwind right now. Well, you mentioned Anheuser-Busch. They released a statement earlier this week expressing concern about how the NFL is handling its off-the-field player conduct incidents, mainly Adrian Peterson and Ray Rice. The beer company has sponsored the last 28 Super Bowls. So they've run ads during those Super Bowls. They pay roughly... $200 million a year to be one of the biggest league sponsors of the NFL. You know, it's great that Anheuser-Busch is standing up and putting some pressure on the NFL, but Griggs, as I tweeted out this week, got a ton of retweets on it. To me, Anheuser-Busch putting that statement out, put your money where your mouth is. All it is is a headline grab by Anheuser-Busch. They didn't take any action. If you really want to make headlines, do what Radisson did and say we're suspending our sponsorship. At the very least, we're suspending it until you take further action. But by kind of putting out that that warning shot and not putting any action behind it, to me, Anheuser-Busch, it all rings hollow. 
Yeah, and I think it was more of a threat type, kind of a thing rather than obviously something they were going to act on. Um, but they know that their brand's huge, and when that comes out, obviously it's news, and everybody saw it, and everybody read the statement. So I think they were. It was definitely more of a threatening rather than obviously taking action. So yeah, I'm kind of. It's kind of a confusing way they did it, but I don't know. Maybe it worked. More NFL news. Ray Rice has appealed his indefinite suspension via the NFL Players Union. This was expected. You know, from a legal standpoint, a letter of the law standpoint, if you're Ray Rice's lawyer, you go, wait a minute. The NFL just instituted a new policy after they originally suspended him for two games and they increased it to six games for a first offense. They increased it to a season for a second offense. So why is he basically been kicked out of the league? That's letter of the law. I applaud the Ravens for giving him an indefinite suspension. And I think there's no room for a player like Ray Rice in the NFL. There's no room for a player like Adrian Peterson if he's guilty. And it certainly looks like he is via those pictures in the NFL. The thing people have to realize, I'm all for second chances. But when you're the brand of the NFL, the biggest league in U.S. pro sports, you've got a brand to protect. You cannot have this kind of controversy associated with your brand. And if you do, you better be prepared for lots of criticism to come with your association with people like Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson. It is a privilege, according to Roger Goodell, to play in the NFL. Adrian Peterson, Ray Rice, Greg Hardy, Ray McDonald, they have not had actions befitting someone who's privileged to play in the NFL. That's my gripe, Griggs. Yeah, and I was thinking the same thing. I was just about ready to say that with Goodell saying the privilege thing, and I agree. It, it is a privilege, and they're on a stage 24 hours a day. So when something happens like this, they're going to have ramifications, they're going to have penalties, and they've got to accept that because that is the, uh, you know, the, the, the letter of the law that was broken by them. Uh, final NFL headline, the NFL and the NFL Players Association have, in fact, reached agreement on wide-ranging improvements to their policy on performance-enhancing substances that include the use of third-party arbitration appeals of positive tests and implementation of testing for HGH within the next few weeks. Okay, great. Maybe this takes care of some of the rage problems, some of the violence off the field that we see with some of the players. Uh, I give the NFL credit on this, but this is going to land with a thud because the announcement's being made in the midst of the most controversial time in NFL history. So not a lot of people are going to be paying attention to this outside of people who maybe have Wes Welker on their fantasy team. And Wes Welker's now back in the lineup playing for the Denver Broncos. Uh, another headline this week. This falls under just a knucklehead. Uh, current Heisman Trophy winner Florida State quarterback Jameis Winston is facing a potential suspension for standing up in a campus cafeteria and uttering a graphic obscenity for everyone to see. And to capture on social media. I have a company called Everything is on the Record. Everything is on the record, including when you're in a cafeteria and you're a Heisman Trophy winner and you stand up and you say something utterly ridiculous and offensive. And now he's probably going to be suspended. And if you look at Jameis Winston, as I tweeted out this week, I wouldn't touch this guy at all in the NFL draft. In light of the current culture of the NFL, we're off the field problems bring negative publicity to your team, why would you take a chance on this guy who has shown repeatedly how poor his decisions are off the field? Yeah, he uh, just, it's amazing to me. I was like, how many chances do you need? It's every week it's like a headline. What is he doing this time? He's, you know, 
was it stealing crab was one of the ones in there too i mean yeah i mean <laughs> the most random weird things but it's just stupid stuff well look you know that some of these guys are immature and they're young and they're 19 20 21 years old i get that but some of this stuff is just over the top stupid and i would put in that category what he did this week um not knowing that he is a Heisman winner. He is the leader of the number one ranked team in the country on the field. And he's got a, the spotlight on him. And, you know, what I always tell the athletes I work with in media training on everything is on the record is you want to be the top story. You want your highlight shown on ESPN. You want all of that. But if you do something stupid, it's also going to make Sports Center. It's going to make TMZ. It's going to make dead spin. It's going to be all over social media. You want the good. But you better be prepared to accept the bad and the negative when you do something stupid. I think time and time again, athletes and celebrities in general forget that. No, I agree with you completely. And uh, it's just like, it, it, that's the thing. I mean, they're young, but they've got to realize that there's so much power in what they do. And they're kids, but at the same time, the whole world's watching them. And it's instantly out there with, with Twitter and all the websites now. Every little thing is being recorded, even when you don't know it. Uh, finally, last headline, a grand jury will decide whether or not NASCAR driver Tony Stewart will be charged in the death of a fellow driver whom Stewart hit with his car when the driver was out of his car in a recent race. We'll continue to follow that story. Obviously, Tony Stewart, one of the biggest names in NASCAR, uh, has a lot of brands tied to him. If he does do jail time, will those brands jump ship? That will be interesting. Last thing I'll say is this. Uh, we're going to have an uh, in-depth discussion with Rand Gatlin on the NFL. But, Griggs, you and I are both parents. And I have never laid an angry hand on my daughter. My daughter's now 10 years old. My daughter obeys. My daughter is growing up to be a beautiful young lady. And I am the example, and I know you are too because you have a young son, of yep. parenting without having to lay your hands on a child in a negative manner. I've heard lots of people this week talk about uh, reasons to justify hitting a child and uh, spanking a child, hitting them with the switch, hitting them with the belt. And look, everyone has their own way of parenting. None of my business, but my way of parenting and the way that I think is correct and the way that's worked out pretty well so far with my daughter is not abusing her physically not disciplining her physically, and uh, it's been a sick story to follow. And when you see the stories, or not the stories, but the photos of Adrian Peterson's four-year-old son, it makes me sick to my stomach, as sick to my stomach as I was when I saw the Ray Rice elevator video where he was punching his now wife. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pastano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. 
As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com. Bringing you up to speed on the latest breakthroughs in the world of sports. Let's enter the Technology Lab. My guest is Alex Bell. He's the CEO at Signal 360. They're a proximity marketing company. I was actually introduced to him through a mutual friend, Chris Dill, who I used to work with at the Portland Trailblazers. Alex, how are you? Great, thanks. How are you? Great. I was really interested and fascinated to hear about your technology and what you're doing uh, with athletic departments like the University of Michigan. What is proximity marketing? Explain that to our listeners. Sure. Proximity marketing um, is the goal of being able to deliver a message to a user's phone um, through an app when they're in very close proximity to something. So instead of they're walking down the street somewhere in Manhattan and we send them a message saying, go to the game, instead it's they're actually in the stadium and they're standing in front of the hot dog stand, and we send them a message right there. It's super contextual and super relevant. So what does the message say? Hey, hot dog's on sale. Uh, go get a <laughs> hot dog. Like, what does it tell you? Yeah, so that's that's where the creative um, pieces come in. And, you know, we as a company provide the platform and system that lets you create that content, and we work with our partners to create meaningful pieces. So one of our um, company, our, our clients is the Golden State Warriors NBA basketball team. Um, and one of their um, use cases that, that we've done for them in the in past season was specifically around ticket upgrades. Um, so they have uh, seats that are available that you can upgrade right there in the stadium. People don't realize that they can do it um, on their app. So we put some of our devices at the top of the escalators. And as you go to the top in Oracle Arena, when you get very close to the top, it sends you a message on your phone that says, did you know you can upgrade your seat right here and go down to the to the, to the front row? And so right there, they saw a big convert, conversion of people who were able to get tap on the shoulder, see the message, and then act on it. What are some of the things you're doing with the University of Michigan? Sure. So the University of Michigan, another great example um, they have less to do with seat upgrades and more about experience and student experience and improving the in-game experience. Um, and so one of the pieces is the big house is a ginormous stadium um, where they play. And so one of the pieces that they do is deliver messaging to get people to explore and go to different areas of the stadium. So they'll do a $1 off hot dog um, coupon, but you can only redeem it at another section of the stadium. So you have to walk in the main entrance, but then you have to walk three quarters away around the stadium. So it gets better crowd dispersal and gets people moving around. And they're playing with a lot of great stuff um, all around student engagement and especially loyalty and getting uh, um, fans and students to be more loyal to their sports teams. So it seems like this is like fan engagement 2.0 or even 3.0. I mean, this is really taking it to the next level. We've heard about loyalty programs in the past, but when you can get this type of, uh, message on your mobile device, it's really kind of a game changer in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing. I mean, a lot of the work that we do right now is in the retail space for large retailers, but all the things we're doing are directly applicable um, and work really well with the sports cases as well because really what you want to say is 
when you put up a sign that says, um, you know, uh, Bud Light is sponsoring, uh, you know, this game at the, you know, at the arena, um, everyone sees it. It's the same message for everyone. But when the season ticket holder walks in, he comes every game and he, the rabid fan, he's always there an hour earlier. He should get a way different message and a more contextual, you know, right for him message than should the person who's first time at the game and, you know, doesn't know where the bathroom is and doesn't know any of the other, you know, things to look for in the game. So the cool thing about it is we can also really, that personalization is, opens up a whole nother level. So you must have incredible analytics. How are you able to distinguish from the person who is attending the facility for the first time versus the longtime season ticket holder? Yeah, so there's two ways. One of the pieces is in our platform, um, we keep track of, you know, the number of times a user has attended, um, their return rate and things like that. And so in our system, you can um, schedule and decision a piece of content based on that, that how many times that person has been to that location or even to that stand in the game. So maybe it's their fifth time at the beer stand, they get, they get a different message than their first time. Um, but also we hook into um, the CRM capabilities of a lot of teams. So a lot of teams, um, especially in the professional space, are really rolling out much more sophisticated CRM systems where they can tie in and know more about um, who's attending their games and, and how long they're attending and how long they've been a ticket holder. So we tie into those systems to better inform the content we deliver. Alex Bell, the CEO at Signal360, is joining me. You can find them online at Signal360.com. Uh, how did you start this company? Wow, great. Yeah, great, great question. So um, four years ago, I was an electrical engineering um, student at Columbia University here in New York City and um, had a crazy idea about using smartphones to find out where the subways and buses were. Um, and it was a great altruistic idea, but I could never get um, anyone at the MTA or the uh, bus company to do anything. Um, my partner of mine said, you know, we could flip this on its head and instead of using these devices that you've created, this technology to find out where people are on buses, we could do the reverse and say, um, you know, you're walking down the aisle at, uh, at Dwayne Reed and uh, here's a shampoo that you should, you know, look at or here's a video for, you know, why you should buy this moisturizer. And so we flipped it on its head and went from the altruistic, tr- you know, tracking of buses to proximity marketing. That's unbelievable. And uh, how big is the company now? How many people work for the company? We're 18 people, um, most of which are in New York City. We have a few regional salespeople around the country, West Coast, East Coast, and in the Southwest, um, but uh, currently at 18. And if people want to get in touch with you uh, after hearing about your incredible technology right here on Sports Business Radio, how can they do that? Best is to, to send me an email at alex at signal360.com, um, and I'll get right back to you. And signal360.com is your website, and you're on Twitter at yep. signal360. Alex, thank you so much. That's an incredible technology. I hope to be able to utilize it and try it myself one of these days. And thanks for taking the time to join us on Sports Business Radio. Thanks a lot for having me. Have a good day. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. This is how we do.
Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher, former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples, tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter, so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With a goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Rand Gatlin. He's an NFL insider for Yahoo Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Rand underscore Gatlin. If you've listened to this show, he's been a guest on the show many times. In addition to being a terrific reporter, Rand also has a legal background and a law degree. Rand, how are you? I'm doing very well, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. It has been uh, one of the more interesting weeks since I started doing this show 10 years ago. Uh, the NFL, obviously the uh, king brand of all sports properties and leagues in the United States. You're, you're talking about a $45 billion brand. And they have had an avalanche of negative events take place, or at least uh, we've had the news of those events break over the past week. And it really threatens the league's popularity and possibly its future structure. And you know, any time you have a league of this stature that is in crises like the NFL is right now, it, it's interesting to see how everything takes shape. And I wanted to cover a number of different NFL topics with you today. Well, I'm looking forward to the discussion. It certainly has been an interesting past week, and uh, I suspect that we're kind of at the beginning of uh, the long tail on this thing. I, d I don't think, despite how intense the attention to this has been thus far, that we're anywhere near the end of it. So, lots to discuss. So, we'll get to Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson and Greg Hardy and Ray McDonald in a moment, but if you look at the NFL, tell me if you agree with the following statements. Um, you know, one of the things I've said on Sports Business Radio since I started the show 10 years ago is when you're looking for why decisions are made in the sports world, follow the money. Okay. So the NFL is a $45 billion league. The league's TV deal is the most lucrative in U.S. sports history with billions of dollars at stake. Uh, NFL commissioner Roger Goodell makes more than any other commissioner, 44 million dollars, money, money, money. Um, we know that violence is a big part of what makes the NFL 
kind of the gladiator sport here in America. There's been talk about PEDs, and you've reported on uh, new uh, drug deals with the NFL and its players. You've got strong, big guys who are playing a physical sport, and when we see that they have issues off the field, it can't be a shock to many people because this train has been headed down this track for a while. The other thing, um, if you're looking at kind of the things on the NFL's list, the New York Times reported in the last week that one in three NFL players will suffer some sort of brain trauma during the course of their career. And then the last thing that I guess is at stake for the NFL is a lot of people don't realize this. The NFL is a nonprofit. They have nonprofit status. Will the league lose that status once Congress starts monitoring the league more closely in light of all the recent headlines? So if you look at the makeup of the NFL and kind of what's at stake for the league, would you agree that those are the main issues? You know, I think that you hit on a number of them. And I, and I do think that all of those things are concerns, right? Anytime you run a massive business, as you aptly point out, the NFL is, there are all of these concerns, and when you add in the special circumstances that surround the NFL's existence and uh, how much money they make and some of these special carve-outs that they may uh, have as a result of how they've grown and, and where they stand in American society, certainly you're concerned with uh, any kind of threat to the power that you've accumulated over the years. Uh, but to go back to your uh, one of the things you said a few minutes ago in terms of nobody should be surprised uh, that there is violence uh, outside of the game when there's so much violence within the game with these players. And I think that's a very cogent point. I think here's what I would I would also highlight that I think gets lost in the weeds. A lot of these guys that play the game uh, come from, if you were to do a socioeconomic study, come from the lower end of the socioeconomic rung, right. and so or the latter, so to speak. And, and so there there are also then uh, cultural and environmental issues that these guys deal with coming up that I think most folks in mainstream society wouldn't necessarily understand because they just have never experienced it. That does not excuse anyone's behavior, but when you add in this uh, supremely macho culture that exists in the NFL, and it has to, I mean, it's a violent game, you have to be a gladiator out there, and so they very much cultivate, they being these teams, coaches, etc., and again, I think you have to by the nature of the game. They cultivate a gladiator slash warrior mentality in these guys. And the uh, expectation, I think, is that when they step off the field, they become teddy bears. And that's simply not uh, fair or realistic. Uh, the reality is a lot of these guys, when you add in uh, the general violent nature of the game and what they do on a day-to-day -day basis to earn a living, and then you add in all of the environmental and socioeconomic uh, aspects of what they've experienced throughout their lives, it's certainly not surprising to me, and I agree with you, it should not be shocking to anybody else, that some of this stuff uh, bleeds off of the uh, field into their personal lives. And, you know, when you look at situations like we've been dealing with over the past week, when we're discussing violence off the field, especially in domestic situations, um, it's certainly troubling. And it is something that deserves a lot of attention. And I think that the league uh, very much wants to get a handle on it. I don't think it's something that the league is just turning a blind eye to necessarily, but I do think that it's kind of the perfect storm this past week to say, okay, we really need to make some changes here because this is unacceptable and it's threatening, as you mentioned. Uh, we saw Anheuser-Busch come out with a statement today. Uh, I believe Nike made a statement as well in pulling Adrian Peterson's jerseys, et cetera. 
you know, certainly, you know, corporate start sponsors start speaking up and pulling dollars or threatening to pull dollars. That is going to change things very quickly. Public perception is powerful, too. But those sponsorship dollars are going to change things more quickly than anything else, I think. Yeah, as we said, always follow the money. So as you mentioned, the NFL hired a new VP of social responsibility. They hired a key female executive to examine domestic violence policies. They also hired a former White House official, Cynthia Hogan, to oversee public policy and government affairs. All women, all females. I think it's great. But my question is going to be to the NFL, how much leverage are you going to give these ladies? How much say are you going to give them? Is this window dressing? Is it another PR strategy to say, hey, look, we're we're doing the right thing, Anheuser-Busch. We're doing the right thing, NFL fan, um, until I see that these women truly have a seat and a say at the table. The jury's still out for me. Would you agree with that? You know, I think that's a perfectly reasonable and fair stance. Um, I would say this. I, I do believe all large organizations, when they make moves like this, uh, they don't do them with the idea in mind that you're going to get total and complete autonomy to these individuals you're coming in to act as checks on your power. So to some extent, I would say in any situation like this, in any major corporation, uh, whether it be the NFL or some other company in corporate America that has nothing to do with sports, a lot of moves like this in reaction to bad PR are going to be definitionally, to some extent, window dressing. But that doesn't mean that that's all it is, right? There are shades of gray. I think, again, the NFL, uh, and, and I don't know this to be the fact. I have not spoken to people inside the league offices who have said this to me, but you've got to believe that a, that a organization as strong as they are, as profitable as they are, uh, and as well-established as they are, sees the problem in what has, or the potential problems uh, moving forward from having continued PR like we had this last week. Man, it's just really, really terrible for their product, and while I think that we're still having record numbers of folks watch games on certain nights, on certain channels, et cetera, and the appetite for the NFL as an on-the-field product certainly has not diminished, nor do I see it being threatened necessarily in any substantive way from what we've seen over the past week. If you have another two, three weeks like that, you start losing corporate sponsors, people start really starting to uh, analyze whether it's something they should continue to support, and you have questions like that coming up. That's a problem. So I do believe that they want to get a handle on this. I don't believe that the NFL supports. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'll say this definitively. <laughs> they, they cannot support uh, bad behavior off the field, especially that that includes domestic violence. So it's not something they want. It's not something they like. But they do obviously need to do a much, much better job of meting out punishment when these things happen so that at the very least, the public understands that they're super serious about rooting the stuff out of their league to the greatest extent possible. You cannot control the behavior of 1,700 men who are paid to play a violent game 100%. But you can certainly lay the hammer down in a very, very harsh way when they violate the rules. You do have to balance that, though, on the other side with ensuring that you provide all of these guys with due process because there is such a thing as a false accusation. I don't think that we've seen any this week necessarily, but there's a lot that uh, happens in between the weeds. We have to make sure not to overreact and overpunish people based on a few instances. We're joined by Rand Gatlin. He's an NFL insider for Yahoo Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Rand underscore Gatlin. Rand, for me, this all starts with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. He's the CEO of the NFL. Um, 
his rulings during his tenure have been inconsistent at best. He rules one way on one thing, something else on another. I think that's why there's so much confusion right now. Um, you know, he set a domestic violence policy and already uh, kind of went against that policy after the Ray Rice video came out. Do people trust Roger Goodell anymore? Because the people I'm talking to, there's never been more doubt about the man leading the NFL. Yeah, I mean, if you ask questions of, and look, this is a fair inquiry. When you when you look at, for instance, uh, players on the opposite side of these, this past CBA negotiation, a lot of them were making comments uh, directly in the wake of these things occurring and uh, pointing out some of the same things you were pointing out in terms of inconsistent punishment or the perception that there's inconsistent punishment, et cetera, and saying, wait, so you guys are just now figuring out that Roger Goodell is uh, inconsistent or however they termed it, untrustworthy, et cetera. The reality is, again, the, the, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. There's a lot of stuff that people don't find out. I think the NFL suffers to some extent from their lack of transparency. Uh, they tell us enough to where we believe we're informed, but they don't tell us everything. For instance, there's this common notion that the new domestic violence policy means that you're suspended for six games immediately, no questions asked upon a domestic violence um, conviction. I believe that's what it says. That's actually not true. The commissioner, in his sole discretion, or at least uh, with the powers that are vested in him, has the ability to reduce that penalty based on mitigating circumstances or increase the penalty uh, based on circumstances that come to light that lead him to believe that it needs to be increased for whatever reason. It's not a hard and fast rule, right? And so because information comes out piecemeal, we, as uh, especially those of us on Twitter, it's a bit of an echo chamber, and we latch on to one idea and we run with it, and it fits our narrative. That does not mean that Roger Goodell has not been inconsistent in meting out punishment. What it means is there's a lot of stuff we don't know. And if we had 100% transparency into the process, two things would happen. One, it'd be really, really ugly. If we knew everything that happens behind the scenes, uh, especially when you're analyzing the specific facts of these cases, if we could have been flies on the wall during that Ray Rice meeting and found out what Ray Rice really did say to Goodell, et cetera, uh, those kinds of things are not things that the league can afford to have out in the public eye. And so they share enough with us uh, to have us believe that they're working on it and they're, and they're working hard to eradicate these things and punish those who violated the rules, uh, but we really actually, at the end of the day, don't know exactly what's happening behind the scenes. We don't know exactly what information Goodell and NFL security had. There's a lot we don't know, and it could be worse than what we think, or it could be much better. It's just one of those things. When you have a veil of secrecy uh, and, and you have seemingly inconsistent results from seemingly similar conduct, you're going to be scrutinized, and that's just the nature of the beast. Let's talk about uh, kind of a few different issues. We'll start with Ray Rice. I mean, to me, this case is a systematic failure on several levels. And I'd like to start, frankly, with the DA in Atlantic City, um, who I feel didn't do his job. Um, to me, it's felony assault. It's pretty plain and clear. Uh, the video tells the story. Rice should have been incarcerated. And you know, the thing that I've talked to some of my male friends about this week is if the common person, if you or I did what Ray Rice did and it was caught on video, we'd be in jail. No questions asked. It would be felony assault. Um, Ray Rice didn't spend time 
in jail or he was put out on bail. I believe it was $15,000. To me, if the Atlantic City District Attorney does his job and incarcerates Ray Rice, then it's really not left to the NFL to suspend him or uh, it's an easier decision for the NFL. They can say, well, he was in trouble with the law and you know we can do X, Y, and Z. Once that didn't happen, then we saw, okay, it was the two-game suspension. And I got to tell you, Rand, you know, again, being a, a longtime PR person, um, it seems to me as if the NFL was absolutely shocked by that second elevator video. The first one came out months ago. You saw Ray Rice dragging his uh, now wife out of the elevator. But the punch video... I don't think the NFL ever thought that would see the light of day. And when TMZ put it out, they were in full crises mode. And it made the two-game suspension look even worse. Obviously, the NFL had the police report in front of them, too. So they knew what was on the video. But the systematic failures to me with Ray Rice were, A, the DA in Atlantic City, and then, B, the NFL knew how serious this was, but they bet on the fact that no one would see that second video, and that gamble failed miserably. Yeah, you know, I think anybody that watches that video, and we've been discussing it now, you know, from a national perspective for quite a while, there, there is no excuse, you know, for the behavior. And, and granted, uh, there's a lot that, again, even with something like that that you don't know, but there is this much that you do know. It's never okay in society for a man to hit a woman. So, you know, we've established that baseline, and I think that, you know, a number of people have very effectively laid out the case for why that behavior uh, was wrong. And I think Rice has acknowledged that that behavior was wrong, and I hope uh, that he really does believe that what he did was wrong and wants to rehabilitate himself. And, you know, it's one of the things where uh, certainly nobody can condone his actions. Uh, but I do think that there is a place in society to give a guy a chance to rehabilitate himself and come out a better man. And it does not excuse what he did there, nor should it be forgotten. But, you know, I really do hope that this is something that changes the guy's life and that he can take the platform that he had then and whatever semblance of it exist in the future and build towards helping others avoid similar uh, situations and certainly diminishing the instances of domestic violence in society. All that being said, and your point about the DA is, is important, and it's also important because if you analyze the NFL's response in light of the decision on behalf of the DA not to press charges, uh, whether they knew the video existed or didn't know the video existed, what they can rely upon is, well, look, uh, the the uh, legal mechanisms that exist in society determined that Ray Rice was not guilty of a crime here, and they didn't punish him. And so we relied to some extent upon uh, that, and we believed that they had the ability to uh, you know make a determination better than we could, given their investigative ability. Now, a lot of people don't buy that because NFL security is so strong, um, and they have the ability to kind of get to a lot of information on their own. Some would argue that they're better than the Atlantic City Police Department because they've got FBI officials, Secret Service members, et cetera. I would say this, though. It seems to me, and this is just a hunch, but it seems to me that there's a lot that has gone left unsaid. And it does seem to me that if folks were to uh, conduct a very thorough and truly independent investigation into how this went down, both on the team side, the NFL side, perhaps in the NFLPA side, I do believe at some point you'd probably uncover some information that would lead you to believe, and I use this phrase, this term, very carefully, 
but I do believe that there would be an argument to be made that there was some semblance of a cover-up, however you want to define that, here insofar as somebody knew more than they were willing to let on, and they decided to try and figure out a way to minimize that information. Now, that does not just mean that it's a situation where you point all the blame at Rice. Uh, I'm very interested in what the Ravens knew and what they and when they knew it. Very interested in what the league office obviously knew and when they knew it. And I'm also very interested in what the PA knew and when they knew it. And to the extent that the NFLPA is preparing to um, speak out on these uh, on these situations, these various situations, and I do believe that they're going to be speaking out on the Ray Rice situation in the near term, according to sources I've spoken with, I'm very interested to see what tact they take because there's a lot of exposure here for a lot of folks. And if anybody can get to the bottom of those questions, who knew what and when, uh, there's some significant, significant potential liability for a number of parties who I think would rather just see this thing go away. But as I mentioned when we came in, Brian, I don't think that this thing's going away anytime soon. In fact, I think we're at the beginning of something that has a very long tail. And uh, I'm not sure that it's going to be pretty on the opposite side. Uh, we'll see what kind of a stomach the investigative powers that be have for following this thing to its logical conclusion. But I think uh, common sense would dictate there's a lot that we don't know now. And the more we find out, uh, I don't think that it's going to make the situation better. It'll probably make it worse. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I would also say that, yeah, most people may not understand the full, uh, I guess, arsenal of NFL security. It is former FBI agents, CIA agents, uh, police officers. They have a lot of power. They don't have subpoena power, but they've got a lot of connections and they're working with, again, the most powerful brand in U.S. sports. And to tell me that I'm supposed to believe that they couldn't get that elevator video from a casino, by the way, but TMZ could get their hands on that video, I'm not buying it. So I think that's kind of uh, – we talked about the issue of trust with – do we trust the NFL? Do we trust Roger Goodell? I don't trust them on that situation. Um, and then the other thing is this independent investigation that they've – uh, announced is a joke to me, as I said on Twitter, because you've got two NFL owners who are overseeing the investigation. You've got someone who's a buddy of Goodell's and someone who's tied uh, to the NFL because the NFL hired them to do this investigation. So it's not an independent investigation and it doesn't have subpoena power. And I just think at the end of the day, they're going to say, well, we did X, Y, and Z. We had these findings, but no one's really going to take a fall. Uh, is there going to be any different accountability? The likelihood of a journalist getting to the bottom of this versus this investigation is much more likely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting. So I, I uh, have taken a, a huge step back from investigative journalism, which was kind of the bedrock of my earlier portion of my career, the first four, four and a half years as a journalist. Um, but I do recognize how incredibly difficult it is to get to the bottom of these situations based on those experiences. I mean, it is really, really hard. In most cases, you don't find a whistleblower. Um, you're going to have a heck of a hard time proving what happened. Now, you may know what happened to a reasonable degree of certainty, but that's not enough to get to print. See, but, uh, here, but here's you, what I'll say to disagree with you now on that is yeah. – if you look at the TMZs and the dead spends of the world, and you know I've talked to some of those entities, I'm sure you have too. 
Um, there are people out there that have an axe to grind against powerful people, and they're handing in video. They've got a price that they'll sell a video or audio recording for. I mean, just in the last few months, we've seen Donald Sterling. We saw the owner of the Atlanta Hawks and Danny Ferry, and we've seen this Ray Rice video. TMZ is uncovering more and more stuff. There are people out there that want to bring powerful people down. So I agree. It's hard to investigate and find the whistleblowers. But if you also look at the number of people that are coming forward with really concrete evidence, again, audio recordings of Donald Sterling, emails from the Atlanta Hawks owner, or this Ray Rice elevator video, there are people out there that are handing over pretty concrete evidence. Yeah, so I don't disagree with you at all. And so to go back to my original point, it's very, very difficult as an investigative journalist in an outlet like Yahoo or the New York Times yes. or the Boston Globe or anywhere else to, find, one, find the whistleblower, two, uh, convince them to speak out, uh, and three, if they have concrete evidence, to hand that concrete evidence to you. Why? Uh, I mean, it could be a plethora of reasons, but one thing that you noted, which is the big important thing, to point out with the TMZs and the Deadspins of the world is they are fully capable uh, of paying for information, whereas at all of those places that I mentioned previously, we're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to give anybody a penny at Yahoo for anything. Now, that does not make the information that they get any less relevant. I think that there's a raging discussion in the journalism community amongst those who say, why shouldn't we be able to pay for information if the information is solid information and verifiable and accurate? What does it matter if we paid for it? or if we convince somebody to give it to us otherwise. But the bottom line is, uh, based on my uh, experiences in this world, and it's pretty in-depth experience, it is really, really hard to get somebody to talk to you with no financial incentive available to them because you have to convince them that it's in their best interest or the right thing to do to hand over information to you that puts a target directly on the front of their forehead, directly in the middle of their back. And that is no easy feat. I spent, you know, a lot of time trying to figure out how to do that. So my point is, uh, when you look at the NFL, for instance, uh, they're going to have a heck of a lot easier time because they have, as we've pointed out, former FBI officials, former CIA agents, if they exist over there, but a number of former high-level, highly trained investigative assets that know how to get to information, whether it be because they're familiar with the systems by which that information becomes available or they have friends still within the walls of those organizations today that can get to information that we may not even know exists. Certainly, we've learned a lot through uh, the NSA uh, revelations that have come out over the past couple of years in terms of just how much they may know about us at any given point in time. So what I'm saying is not that the NSA is, is involved here, but there, there's a lot that you would think the NSA could get to that uh, investigative journalists would have a heck of a hard time getting into. You look at the NSA stuff as, by way of example, you had Edward Snowden. Without Edward Snowden, that stuff doesn't come out. And so, yeah, there are a lot of people out there running around with evidence, but getting them to give it to you and uh, put it in a position, put you in a position where you can print the information or publish that information without threat or fear of being sued or how you got that information or any other number of considerations is a completely different ballgame. So, you know, it's not that it's impossible. It's just really hard. And anybody inside the NFL right now that exists there that wants to continue existing within those walls has a massive disincentive uh, to speak out or more more aptly, a, a, an incentive to keep their mouth shut. And that's what you find kind of around the horn. There are not many people that are willing to rock that boat. Uh, and so you just keep your fingers crossed that at some point we get a greater measure of the truth than we currently have today because ultimately what it's about 
is if you take a step back from everything and we take away the individuals that we're focused on and we look at the macro component of this is we want to reduce instances of domestic violence in society, period. The NFL has a massive platform. If this is something that they created in terms of a focus as part of their central platform, listen, we're going to really dedicate our resources and influence to shining light on just how pervasive domestic violence is, and we want to do everything we can to promote uh you know, the destruction of, or rather the eradication of domestic violence in society to the greatest extent possible, I think that they can make uh, a lot of headway and have some positive influence. And so I think that's a question for them in the coming days and something I'm sure you're familiar with based on your uh, experience in PR is, you know, they need to figure out a way to turn this negative into a positive. It's not going to happen overnight, but if they take some really meaningful steps towards trying to help society uh, better itself, and, and obviously that requires them to get better themselves, uh, you know, I do think that this could ultimately, on a macro level, turn out to be, in the long run, despite how nasty the individualized aspects of this are, a positive thing for all of society if the NFL decides to pursue this in a positive way down the road. Well, and it's got to be done on, on multiple levels, and like you said, it's going to take some time. It's got to be authentic. I mean, the NFL can write big checks to domestic violence shelters, and they can do a huge ad campaign and say we're – fighting domestic violence, but if their players continue to get arrested for domestic violence, it's not authentic and the message isn't getting through. So, you know, I think that the NFL really has to educate its players. I think the players need to see the impact of domestic violence, take them to shelters, make them spend a day at a shelter and see the impact of domestic violence. And, you know, the other thing is, I don't know that Roger Goodell is the right guy for this job. Uh, Roger Goodell has done a great job. He's been the goose that lays the golden egg for the NFL. They're making more money than they ever have. They have great TV deals and media deals. Roger Goodell is making $44 million. But to me at this time, if you look at someone like Adam Silver, who's very sensitive to uh, world issues, is a guy that is very approachable, is a guy that's very collaborative, is a guy that does not rule with an iron fist, and he's kind of got that open-door policy. I believe at this time in the NFL's life, it needs someone more like Adam Silver and someone less like Roger Goodell. Can Roger Goodell become more like Adam Silver? That remains to be seen, but I haven't seen that in his personality that shows me he can become a guy who has those traits that I believe the NFL needs right now. Yeah, and I mean, this is look, this is part of the territory. As you mentioned, he made over $40 million last year. He's uh, at the helm of one of the most powerful entities, uh, corporate or otherwise, in the United States of America. And so the scrutiny is uh, part and parcel of, of uh, his position. You know, that being said, um, we'll have to see how this plays out. You've got the owners at this point, the owner's support, at least as evidenced by uh, their public and off-the-record statements, and while there's been some scuttlebutt that perhaps there's some owners that are ready to jump ship on them if they find out that anything, uh, you know, bad had happened, we have to remember Roger Goodell has been at the NFL for a very, very long time. And, and he's made the owners a lot. a lot of money. He's made them a lot of money, but he also knows a lot. And right. There's, there's a lot to be said for an individual who's able to climb the ladder in an organization that complex and that powerful. Uh, the, Information that he's accumulated over the years, I suspect, is not all peaches and cream. I bet he knows some things that a lot of folks do not want to see spread in the streets, not to say that Roger Goodell would do that or that he possesses anything that would bury the NFL by any means. I, I, I 
very difficult for me to envision anything that would bury the NFL at this point or even significantly harm them. But, uh, you know, you, you got to keep that in mind. These owners become friendly with Roger Goodell. He works at their behest. And so uh, while a lot of people may speculate as to whether he's the right guy for the job or not, and that's a fair debate, uh, I don't see the guy leaving his post, uh, certainly not on his own volition, but I don't see them forcing him out either unless something really, really explosive comes out. And I just don't think we're there yet. Rand Gatlin, NFL insider for Yahoo Sports, joining me. Find him on Twitter at Rand underscore Gatlin. Just a few minutes left. All right, we talked about Ray Rice. You know, and I'll preface everything with uh, I have a daughter who's almost 10. I grew up in a household full of sisters. I'm the only boy in the family. I have four sisters. So uh, this kind of stuff makes me sick to my stomach. And what I saw with the Adrian Peterson case People can try and justify this all they want. They can say, that's the way I was raised, and that's the kind of way we discipline people. But when it draws blood, and when you're doing what Adrian Peterson did to his four-year-old son, not his 14-year-old son, his four-year-old son, I think you've got to draw the line there. And again, I'm speaking as a parent. I've never disciplined my daughter physically, and so far, she's doing pretty well. She obeys she is doing well socially. She's doing just fine, and I've never laid a hand on her her whole life. So, you know, the people who try and justify this with, well, that's the way I was raised, or that's how we do things in the South, or that's how we do things religiously, I, I've seen it work without having to to beat your kid. And um, it's a scary story. The Vikings are caught up in, in quite a mess because they've got a lot of business things going on. They're trying to get a new stadium built. The governor's trying to get reelected. Radisson uh, just suspended their sponsorship of the NFL. By the way, to anyone out there who ever runs a press conference, if you're running a controversial press conference, don't put the sponsor logo behind the people right. you have speaking because just like Radisson wasn't very happy about it, that's the fastest way to lose a sponsor. Sponsors don't want to be tied to controversy. So put a black drape up. Or don't put any drape up, but don't put your sponsor drape up because that's not what they're looking for. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's again, this is yet another situation where uh, there are a bunch of complex issues. You know, one that I'll point out is Adrian Peterson had made mention, I believe, in his deposition, uh, if I recall correctly, of being beaten with an extension cord. And I believe the question was, have you ever beaten your children with an extension cord? And his response was something to the effect of, no, I would never do that because. Uh, I remember how badly that hurt. That should give you a frame of reference for what he thought was acceptable and what he didn't think was acceptable. And what he thought was acceptable, it sounds like, was largely based upon his upbringing and uh, how he was raised. You know, I myself was, uh, you know, whooped, uh, the term that he used. I myself was whooped with switches, belts, uh, hands, et cetera. And so my... Uh, stance on it is certainly there's a point at which you can cross a line, and I think breaking skin uh, is crossing a line. But then the question becomes, well, what is acceptable then? Uh, it is very difficult to define what is acceptable behavior, and a lot of us would say, well, no, it's not. It's absolutely easy to do that. Uh, and I think that most people's reactions in that regard come from their own personal experiences. You know, my line may be a little bit further in terms of do I think that my dad was wrong at all times and all places for whooping me, you know, my answer would be no, I, I don't. And um, and so I'm not saying that it can't work another way. A lot of people believe in timeout, et cetera. I was not the kind of kid that you're going to put in timeout that's going to behave. 
and uh, and did my dad cross a line at a given point? Yeah, certainly he did cross a line, and it cost him uh, his ability to continue parenting me. And so that's something that you know I look back on. It's a very clear thing to me. He went overboard here, and and I ended up having to move away from him and uh, move in with my biological mother. And uh, you know it has uh, a long tail to it as well in terms of when you do cross that line. But with Adrian Peterson. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that his behavior was correct. It, it, it wasn't. You, know, you break skin on a four-year-old child, uh, you're wrong. You know. But that being said, I, I don't think that it's as black and white as people like to make these things. And I personally have had a bit of a uh, distasteful reaction to just how much bloodthirst there is, for lack of a better term, on behalf of those who want to see this guy's career end immediately or him to be incarcerated for long periods of time, et cetera. There is a middle ground. There is a way to teach this guy how to parent more effectively. Uh, it does not appear, at least based on the information that we have now, that his actions were malicious so much as it was what he knew in terms of how he's going to punish his children. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it acceptable. It does not mean that he does not need to improve. It does mean that I oftentimes look at society and the reactions to these kinds of issues and wish that people would look at them with a little bit more of a nuanced lens and uh, this is one of those situations where I really hope people, uh, once they get over their initial uh, frustration and, and disgust, can take a step back and, and really analyze where this guy was coming from, how this happened, and what steps he takes to improve as a parent and human being moving forward, and find a little forgiveness in his heart, in their hearts rather, for him if it is proven uh, beyond a reasonable doubt that this guy really was not out there trying to harm his kid in a malicious way. He just was parenting in a way that a lot of mainstream America doesn't find to be acceptable. And as I mentioned before, I want to make clear, he clearly crossed the line, breaking his little kid's skin. Uh, and some people could argue that he was crossing a line and whipping him with a switch, period. But I do think that there's a debate in society on what is acceptable uh, in terms of methods of parenting. And uh, hopefully we'll find a common middle ground at some point where uh, it's clear to everybody what that is, but we're not there yet. Roger Goodell has spoken many times about protecting the shield. He's also mentioned that it's a privilege to play in the NFL. My gripe with Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson and Ray McDonald and Greg Hardy is, A, they haven't protected the brand of the NFL. B, they have not realized what a privilege it is to play in the NFL and that the elite of the elite play pro football. They make a lot of money, and the spotlight is on them. So, yeah, if this is the third-string punter on the team – uh, it's not making headlines, but when it's Adrian Peterson or Ray Rice or Ray McDonald or Greg Hardy, it's big headlines. And it's one of the things you know, I have my company. Everything is on the record. I try and educate athletes and, and others. There's a different set of circumstances, fair or not, for celebrities and for people who uh, are in the spotlight more than others. You know, if I get a DUI in the next week, probably not many people are going to notice it. But if you know, a star athlete gets a DUI. It's it's written about in Yahoo Sports. It's front page on ESPN.com. It's all over the place. Like it or not, you take on an extra responsibility when you're in the spotlight. And I think some of these athletes just don't realize that, and they're kind of tone deaf to where their place in society is. And when you taint the brand of the team – or the league, and thus the domino effect of the sponsors like Radisson and Anheuser-Busch, now you've got a problem because 
it's it is that domino effect, and that's again what I think a lot of athletes don't understand. The NFL definitely has their work cut out for them. Uh, I think their PR strategies to date have failed miserably. They have not been transparent. They have not been authentic. And like you've said several times in this interview, I think this is a long tail, and it's uh, far from its conclusion. Yeah, I think um, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, a lot of things, especially in regards to these players being a little bit tone deaf and not understanding that there is a heightened sense of scrutiny that comes with the position that they uh, inhabit in the NFL and also in society in general based on uh, how good they are at playing this game. And so, you know, this is going to be a reoccurring theme for us forever. This is not going to ever change completely. Why? Because you're talking about a lot of them come from backgrounds where you should never reasonably expect them to be polished individuals because they don't come from polished places. And so uh, these things don't happen overnight. We expect a lot of them. Uh, a lot of times people feel let down by these stars that they put on a pedestal. Uh, but as long as the primary workforce in the NFL are uh, mid-20s, uh, early to mid-20s uh, men, uh, again, many of whom come from uh, unpolished backgrounds, I think you're going to see the same problem. So the NFL has got to get their stuff together. I think they know that. And uh, hopefully they're working hard at figuring out how to not just uh, whitewash this stuff, but uh, diminish the instances of these kinds of things occurring so that we can get back to speaking about football and things that are more entertainment than uh, what we've been talking about for the past week. All important issues. Uh, definitely want to make sure that stuff goes away, but it'd be nice that the first couple of weeks of the season we didn't have this stuff going on so we could pay attention to the products on the field. An educated and insightful conversation with Rand Gatlin, NFL insider for Yahoo Sports. And, you know, I've known your background and your past and have so much respect for what you've become. And I appreciate you uh, sharing some of that with our listeners today. Always, Brian. I've always respected you and appreciated all the conversations we've had. Still in my mind, best show on air. So always happy to join you and appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. That's Rand Gatlin. Follow him on Twitter at Rand underscore Gatlin. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger, powered by Postano. Hello, my name is Sophia Berger. I want to tell you about the Pixie Project. The Pixie Project matches pets to the right people. The Pixie Project takes pride in finding matches for both people and animals. The Pixie Project also offers low-cost veterinary assistance. My family worked with the Pixie Project to adopt a lovable puppy, Scotty. He's a great addition to our family. So if you get a dog or cat, kitten or puppy, you should go to the Pixie Project. To learn more about the Pixie Project, visit them at www.pixieproject.org. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. A lot of negative news in the NFL this last week. Downright depressing, if you ask me, but still some really terrific stories. And there's 1,796 players who play in the NFL. Devin Still is one of the best stories of any player in the NFL. Uh, he's got a four-year-old daughter who is battling uh, cancer and just, uh, he's such a good dad and is so engaged with his daughter. I've seen several pieces on him. And as the father of a daughter, I can certainly relate to, uh, his love for his daughter. And 
Right now, as she battles cancer, Devin's still Cincinnati Bengals jerseys are on sale. If you go to ProShop.Bengals.com, ProShop.Bengals.com, all proceeds from the sales of the jersey are going to uh, assist with the costs and help his daughter in her battle against cancer. Kudos to New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton for purchasing 100 Devin Still jerseys to support the cause. Uh, it's the number one selling jersey for the Cincinnati Bengals right now. Actually broke their all-time jersey sales record for a single month. So Devin Still jerseys, get yours, proshop.bengals.com. Support Still's four-year-old daughter in her battle against cancer. Uh, thank yous on the show this week. Alex Bell from Signal 360. Really digging that technology. I think it's interesting. I think it's a game changer for uh, sports franchises trying to reach their targeted audience at games and engage their fans at venues. Uh, go to Signal360.com to find out more about them. Rand Gatlin, very insightful behind-the-scenes conversation, discussion about the NFL and the state of the NFL. Always appreciate him joining us. Follow him on Twitter at Rand underscore Gatlin. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, and Doug Zanger. Thanks to our friends at Pistano for powering Sports Business Radio. By the way, congratulations to Justin Garrity, who was just promoted to president at Pistano. Really enjoy working with Justin. He moderated one of our panels at the Sports PR Summit this past May in New York. He does a great job. Very well deserving. Follow them at Pistano.com or on Twitter at Postano, P-O-S-T-A-N-O, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Best way to do it is go to iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio. You can subscribe to our podcast. We're also on TuneIn Radio. We're on Stitcher. We're on a number of different platforms. If you Google Sports Business Radio, I'm sure you'll find us in one of those uh, many different platforms that we offer our show on. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pistano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com.